0: Well, good morning. Everybody ready to do this? All right, you are in for a treat. We have some fantastic stuff in Scripture to go through, so you're going to need your Bible and a handout sheet that was given to you at the front door, and we can begin. We are in part two of a series called Living into the Kingdom, and I entitled today's message just simply King Jesus. We've been talking about the idea of the kingdom of God. We say this in the Lord's Prayer, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I explained last week that it's not a future statement, that's a now statement. That we live in a kingdom of now, but not yet. So it's a little confusing at times, a little bit complicated. But I explained that the kingdom of God is anywhere where he rules, anywhere where he has influence and authority. So, for example, the kingdom of God, it says dwells within the believers. You know how it says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? What it's saying is inside you, where God is purifying, inside you, where you've been born again, there it is here on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, up in heaven, everything is as God wants it, and so that same case is with you in your heart. Now what we want to do is increase that authority, increase that influence. So let's say in our homes, how beautiful would it be that our homes are led in an obedient way with God so that things are in our home in the same way they are in heaven. That as things are peaceful in heaven, as things are orderly in heaven, as things are God-honoring in heaven, it would be the same way inside our homes. This is how we run this church. We want it to be here in this church, the same power and authority flowing, the same relationship restoring and transformation. We want all of that in this church to be the same way that it is in heaven. This is the idea of this expanding influence of God, the building of his kingdom. His kingdom is more of a mindset than a location. If you are submitting to God, his kingdom is alive and well within you. Now, obviously, not everybody is obeying him. Not everybody is interested in him. Therefore, we have a kingdom clash. And what Jesus did by coming in was an invasion into the kingdom set up here on earth that Satan was running. And the rightful king showed back up and started putting stuff back together and shaking up a whole lot of things. Now, the kingdom is not just future. We do not say one day everything will be better. That is true, but there's something for today, and that's what we're trying to dig into into this series. So we're gonna be talking about the last time that King Jesus walked on this earth. 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, Jesus Christ of Nazareth came and he started something. He inaugurated something. He did something. He brought about a change in a very significant fashion that we are supposed to carry on. Well, what is that? That's obviously what we're studying today. Now, I want to draw your attention to the the fill-in-the-blank with a couple ideas. When the king came, it was a little bit odd, meaning that you would assume that if the king of all creation shows up on earth, everybody hits the deck, everybody worships him, and everything is perfect. That is not at all how it went. As a matter of fact, the the fill-in-the-blank on the sheet in front of you is this. King Jesus received a mixed reaction. King Jesus received a mixed reaction, but we need to be very careful when we start lumping whole people groups into a category. For example, there has been much damage and much horrific tragedy in the name of anti-Semitism, the idea that you would be anti-Jewish, the idea that the Jews killed Jesus, that phrase, right? Oh, they rejected him and they killed him and that makes them bad. Some other people would spin it the other way and say the Romans killed Jesus. It was their cross that he was put on. They're the bad guys. They were dominating Israel. Well, do you understand how inaccurate and absurd that is? Why you're lumping everybody into one category? No, 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 that's not how it works. Are we all clear that Jesus is Jewish? Yeah? Okay, so if you're like, oh, in the name of Jesus, I'm mad at Jews. He is a Jew. So you can't do that. It doesn't make any sense. All apostles were Jewish, right? Uh, The majority of the early church were all Jewish. So this whole idea that you can go, oh, well, the Jews rejected Jesus. The Jews were the church. So come on, what are we talking about here? And as far as the Romans goes... Do you remember that when Jesus was walking down the street, a Roman centurion came up to him. He said, my servant is sick at home and dying, and I want to know if you will heal them. And Jesus said, sure, where do you live? He said, no, I don't think you, don't, I don't think you get it. You don't need to come to my house. You're so powerful. You just say the word and it gets done. I mean, I'm a leader. When I tell my soldiers to do something, I don't need to show up. They go out and do my bidding. Jesus is like, wow, that's impressive. Looks around at all his followers going, yeah, guys, you can learn a thing or two from this dude. That was a Roman. Do you remember at the foot of the cross, a Roman said what? Truly, this is the Son of God. Okay, so can we stop lumping everybody together? So what do we do with verses that say, and he came to his own, meaning the Jewish people, and was not received? What do we say about the idea that he was handed over to the Romans and they crucified him? When they use these terms like Jews and Romans, what does it mean? It almost always means leadership. Leadership was the problem. I would suggest to you that the majority of the Jewish people thought Jesus was rather awesome. But the leaders did not. This is why we must select good godly leaders because they're going to get you in trouble, right? Why? Because as the leader is, so goes the rest of the followers. We are guilty by association, The Jewish leaders didn't want Jesus. They're the ones that started the crucify chant. They're the ones that wanted him on that cross. It was not the Jewish people. It was the Jewish leaders of the time. Why do you think that if you really want to see Jesus get ticked off, who is he mostly after? The Jewish leaders. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, all the people that were in charge, that's who he was going after, and they didn't like it. They were the ones that were leading the people astray. We need good leadership. All right, now having said that, here's what we're gonna do with the rest of our time. I'm going to take you through a short jaunt in history to see what happened when Jesus came, what was his agenda, and then I'm gonna close by giving you six things that he accomplished while he was here so that we might carry those on and build the kingdom. Are y'all ready to go? All right, fantastic, here we go. So turn with me to Luke chapter one, verse 32. Luke chapter one, verse 32. If you are using one of the Bibles under the seat in front of you, it is around page 855. If you are brand new to the Bible, drop your Bible open in the middle, go to the right. You're gonna find it around Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We wanna find that Luke. It's big number one, little tiny number 32, all right? Luke 1, 32. This is kind of where the king idea really starts percolating here on the earth. It says this, "And the Lord God will give to him, meaning Jesus, the throne of his father King David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob or Israel forever. And of his kingdom There will be no end. Do you remember what this story is? Mary, the mother of Jesus, who was to bear him, had an angel, a heavenly being, show up right in front of her and audibly give her a prophecy about the child that she was carrying. This is what he said. You are carrying the king of Israel, and of his kingdom, it's never going to end. What he is going to start will never stop. It will dominate the universe. That's a pretty powerful start, yeah? Well, intriguing, we then step right into the Christmas story and we start reading about things like, and there were three wise men, right? Three wise men from the East, the Magi, which, by the way, are we all clear? The Bible does not say there was only three. That is not in the Bible. Why do we think there's three? Because they brought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and everyone knows you can't carry two right? That's why we think there's three wise men. That is incorrect. Anyway, so these guys come from the east, travel a long distance, and said, hey, we've been checking out the planets, the stars, everything going on up in the heavens, and we see that they're all organizing in a way that makes the sign of a king being born here on earth. And even though we don't live here, we know this is a big deal, and we've come to worship the new king. They give him gifts and they bow down before a toddler and worship him. Man, it sounds like this is going to go super good, right? Prophecy, angels, the shepherds are glorifying, the magi come in. And then all of a sudden, Jesus goes quiet for 28 years. Then, 28 years later, in that quiet, a man starts saying, He's here, he's here, he's here. That's John the Baptist. John the Baptist starts telling everybody, no, 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 the Messiah, we don't have to wait anymore. He's he's among us. He's right around the corner. The one, now I baptize with water, but he's the one that baptizes with a judgment of the fire of God. He's gonna make things right. He's gonna be the one we've always longed for. Our grandparents wanted to see him. Our great-grandparents wanted to see him. But right now, in our midst, here he comes. And one day, Jesus walks up. And he goes, you're him, right? And he goes, yep. He said, great. And so they end up baptizing. The Holy Spirit comes down. A voice comes from heaven. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then he disappears in the desert. That's a weird turn of events. Wait, you want to do backpacking like right now? Like you've been gone for like 28 years. Now you suddenly show up and you disappear. Where are you going? Well, on his little heavenly father agenda... One of the first people he needs to meet with is out there in the desert, and they need to have a talk. Who is that? Well, here we go. That's where we're going to pick up our story. Now, I'm going to read you a combined version of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. As if all three of them were in the room, and they're all telling the story, I combined them together. So just listen. It says this. And then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River where he was baptized, and the Spirit immediately drove and led him out into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, by Satan. Jesus was with the wild animals, and he ate nothing during those days. So when they were ended, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came, and the devil said to him, "'If you are the Son of God, as we know you are, command these stones to become loaves of bread.'" Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the devil took him to the holy city, that is Jerusalem, and set him high on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command, God will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone." And Jesus answered him again, and it is written and said, you shall not put the Lord your God to a test. Now, here's the key. Then the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory in a moment of time. And he said to him, all these I will give you all this authority, all their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it. To whoever I want to give it. If you, Jesus, then, will fall down and worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, Begone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. That's a bizarre story. Did you see the offer? that Satan said, you can have all the kingdoms of the world. Remember, we were talking about everything's about kings and kingdoms. Well, hold on a second. Who gave him the right to have all the kingdoms of the world to be able to offer it? It's not a temptation if he doesn't really have the ability to hand it over, right? So he has the ability. Who made him king? As a matter of fact, in 1 John five nineteen, after Jesus rose from the dead, John wrote this, We know that we are from God, but the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The Bible describes him as the prince of the power of the air. It talks about him running this present age. How in the world did he get control on earth? If it's God's territory, who let Satan run the show? Is he the legitimate ruler? He offered to Jesus all the kingdoms of the world with their authority. That means he has it. Where'd he get it from? Well, now, obviously, the answer is always going to default to what? God. Nobody has any authority on earth except God allows it, right? That's going to be the answer. But what was the process that got him to be king of the earth? I'm going to suggest to you, we gave it to him. How? Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were given a few Jobs to do. One of them was to be fruitful and multiply. Another one was to tend the garden and to bring dominion over the earth. Y'all remember what dominion means? Rule. It is God's people who were to rule the earth and bring it under their authority because as they obeyed God in everything, they were the channel by which God would rule the earth so it would be here on earth as it is in heaven. That was the plan. But what did we decide to do as human beings? We took another route. Mm, I'm going to kind of do your thing, but I'm going to kind of do my thing. And we said no to God. The minute we said no to God and we ate of that tree, it snapped that connection. It could no longer be here on earth perfectly as it was in heaven. Sin entered into the world. Things started breaking. Chaos started being involved in our environment. And ultimately, we were on our own, or so we thought. In reality there was someone here that was the dominant influence already who was that that was Satan he can talk better he can be stronger he can run faster he can do all those things so he starts dominating like a bully and we cave and hand over the dominion of the world to him you go he doesn't have any right to do that you're absolutely correct but he does have the right if we give him the right. See, too many of us think that there are two choices on the table. You can either do it your way or God's way. That is incorrect. Your way isn't a thing. There is either the tyrant of death, Satan's way, or there is God's way. The good news is we're no longer stuck with a bad guy only. We've got an opportunity to be set free. That is the gospel. Amen? Amen. All right. Praise God. Now, right after that, uh, Jesus says, I'm here. When he goes public coming back out of the desert, he says this phrase in Matthew 1, 14, the time is fulfilled, meaning everything you've been waiting for is now in play. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, change your mind, and believe in the good news. Now you go, why do we need Jesus to come and do this if Satan's an illegitimate authority? Well, write this down on your notes. The only difference between a bad king and a bully is semantics. The only difference between a bad king and a bully is semantics. Bullies work off threat, not actuality. Bullies work off impressions, not facts. So if we allow Satan to be king, he gets to be king, Jesus is coming in to change our mind about that. He starts coming into our mind and saying what? I need you to rethink it. I need you to repent. I need you to change your mind and look at it from my perspective, and you'll realize he is illegitimate, and he does not have a right to rule here. Okay? So then on his heavenly agenda from his father, he has a little box that says... Go minister to your own hometown of Nazareth. Now, for all of you, it is the hardest place to minister is in your own house, meaning with your own siblings, with your own parents, with your grown-up kids, stuff like that. That is the hardest place to minister because they see you at your core. And they can't, you can't, like, pull one over on them, right? If you start dropping a bunch of truth and they're like, hmm, I know you, right? You better be legit. All right, so he goes to Nazareth, and this is what happens. I'm reading a combo account of Matthew, Mark, and Luke once again, and it says this, And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth, his hometown where he had been brought up, and his disciples followed him. And as was his custom, he went to their synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it is written, quote, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And he taught them, so that many who heard him were astonished, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Boy, it sure seems like this is going to be a good day right? I mean, it seems like everything is tracking. There's a prophecy. Then all of a sudden, the magi announce him. And then sure enough, John the Baptist announces him. He goes in, battles with the devil, puts him on notice, beats him down, steps back into the limelight, goes home, and now everyone is super amazed. Dude, you're the Messiah. Yeah, from my own hometown. What's up? Elm Street. Boom. Yeah. Right. Right. Elm Street Elementary, yeah! You know, that kind of thing. But that's not where the story stops, right? I mean, some of you know this story. As a matter of fact, everything's going really, really well until somebody says something else. I'm gonna suggest to you, because of their influence, I'm gonna suggest they were leaders. They were leaders that didn't like what he was talking about. Probably the synagogue leader. And one Influencer can turn the tide of an entire room. Watch this. And they, whoever they are, said, Where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, Joseph the carpenter's son? Wait, his mother is called Mary. Are not his brothers, James and Joseph, Simon and Judas, we know these guys? Are not all of his sisters right here with us? So where did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. Uh Uh-oh, the tide just turned. He's too familiar. You can't be the Messiah. I knew where you grew up. That's not magical. And all of a sudden, all the faith gets sucked right out of the room, and everyone shifts. Jesus responds. He said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you do at Capernaum, your magic there, your miracles there, do here in your hometown as well. In other words, there's no question you all are thinking, I did mighty things. How about fixing up my hometown and doing some magic tricks here? Then we'll all believe in you. I don't do that. I'm not here for your amusement. Now we have a battle going on. It says, and he did not do many works there, many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And he said, truly, I say to you, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Well, now they're really ticked off. He goes on further and says, even the prophets in the Old Testament, you know what? They saw this kind of hardness of heart, and they went out and ministered to the Gentiles. Well, that freaked all the Jews out. They're super mad. The leadership rises up against him. By the time we finish the story, they've taken him to a cliff to throw him off and kill him. Boy, that really spun, okay? Thankfully, that's not where the story ends either because after that, he gets to gather his guys around him, Peter, James, John, these guys. Nathaniel is saying, you are the son of God, and Peter's saying, you're the Christ, and where else are we gonna go? And people do start believing him. As a matter of fact... He starts having massive crowds come around. He starts emanating out manifestations of the power of God. He starts healing people. He starts casting out demons. He starts doing miracles like walking on water and calming the storms. And everyone begins to see this is no ordinary man. This is the Son of God. This is the Messiah we've been waiting for. And massive crowds start following him. So much so that he has to get in a boat just to back up so they don't crush him. And Everybody would be able to hear him. And he starts traveling throughout the whole land. It always goes Jew first, then Gentile. Why? God promised the Jews, through you, all nations on earth will be blessed. So he spends the majority of his time with the Jewish people, Then he starts doing little side trips, hangs out with the Samaritans here, hangs out with the Gentiles here. But he always goes back to his main purpose, the Jewish people, the chosen one. And there is a mixture of reactions from the crowd. Too many of us keep remembering the crucify, crucify story, and we remember how the leaders were trying to kill him. But do you remember the story where they tried to force Jesus to become king? Like, I don't even know how that works. How do you force someone to become king? You will wear this puffy hat with gems on it, and I will force it upon your head, right? I mean, I don't know how you make someone be king. That's a little weird. But they were going to force him to become king because they believed in him so much. He had to tell them no. Do you remember the triumphal entry? He comes riding in on a donkey, and people are laying their coats down, Palm branches down. People are shouting, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. Here comes our king. There are thousands of people filling the streets pro-Jesus. So can we please not lump it in that everybody rejected him? That is not true. It was just a mixed reaction. Is it any different today? I mean, man, there's a bunch of people that are super into Jesus, and there's a bunch of people that want nothing to do with him. That's how it works. It's complicated. You know, the tension of a kingdom of now but not yet, really, anytime you get into a why loop where you go, why is there so much suffering if God is on the throne? Why are the bad guys winning if Jesus is king? If you get into a why loop, you're struggling with the tension of a kingdom invasion. You're struggling with the tension of a kingdom of now but not fully yet. I get it. It's complicated. Well, ultimately, he is beaten and crucified as a king. Interesting. What did the plaque say above his head on the cross? The king of the Jews. Now, somebody meant to try to make fun of him in doing that, but the father ordained it prophetically that even while he hung on the cross, his title was right across his head, the king of the Jews. As he hung there, some people wept. Other people walked by and said, quote, let the Christ, this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross, then we'll see and believe. They're making fun of him even while he hangs there. Ultimately, he is buried, he raises again, and he is ascended up to the Father right in front of everybody's eyes. Okay, that is the history. What did he do? I'm gonna give you six things on what he did. If you take notes, you might wanna take out some paper here. As normal, I will speak at a very rapid rate, (laughs) so good luck on that. When I say it's a kingdom invasion, here's what I mean. I mean that he is the rightful king, but somebody else put a bogus king in there, and he's coming in to put him on notice that I'm going to start dismantling your thing here, right? He started a progressive destruction of his enemies and a reestablishment of a rightful rule. He saved people. He set people free from their bondage. He talked about a new way of doing the kingdom. He said, you have been ruled by a tyrant. I don't do it like that. I do it from the ground up. The first will be last and the last will be first. We do not do dominating. What we do is we lead by compassion as being servant leaders. And he starts talking about that his people are not the richest. They're not the fanciest. That his people are the oppressed. His people are the poor. His people are the ones that everyone else forgets about. He said, you want to talk about my warriors? Here you go. These are my people. He was a very different king than the world has ever seen. And it was beautiful So he's been doing this in stages, and the first phase, this is very important if you want to write this down, he's been doing it in phases. This first phase is a kingdom offer of persuasion. Write that down. A kingdom offer of persuasion. Why is that so important? We're going to hit it later in the series, but a kingdom offer of persuasion right now. It will not always be like this, but for right now, he offers you the kingdom and asks if you want to join. It is a gentleness. He is saying, You make the decision. Do you want to be on my team? Do you want to love me? Do you want to follow me? Do you want to march under my banner? I will not force you. I'm asking you this is a kingdom of love, this is about loyalty. Do you want me? This is a limited time offer. How do we know that? Because one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Whether you think that's true or not, you'll find out. In that day, it will no longer be about persuasion. It will be overwhelming. And there's nothing you can do about it. He said, before I get to that, can I please just talk with you for a moment? Before I come in with the heat, I just need to hear your heart. Do you want me? Kingdom of persuasion. Here are six things that Jesus did when he came here the first time. Number one, he broke the hold of Satan. He broke the hold of Satan. I'm talking about the prince of darkness, the prince of the power of the air, the king of this current age. 1 John 3, 8 says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. What did he do? If the devil is still here, what, roaming around, seeking who he may devour, being a lion, if he's still here, what did Jesus really accomplish? Here you go. Jesus came to mess up his game. Jesus came to mess up his game. The Bible refers to it as rendering his kingdom inoperative. What does that mean? It means that even though he's seeking who he may devour, he can only take advantage of those that are weak and exposed. And he has a heavy limitation on how he can handle God's kids. He cannot just do whatever he wants with God's kids. That doesn't fly. There's way too much protection now. Jesus broke the monopoly that Satan had over the earth. You realize that this whole concept That there is freedom there is not freedom the devil runs the entire world as a bully jesus is setting us free from that tyrannical ruler that's what he did so he began to crush it once again write this down if you take notes a war won in the mind is just as good as a war won in the flesh a war won in the mind is just as good as a war won in the flesh Once again, Satan has you convinced. Satan has the world convinced that they need to submit to him. Jesus is saying that is not true. You do not have to do it his way. There's another way to do it. Hebrews 2.14, because God's children share in flesh and blood... He himself likewise partook of the same things that through his death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus did something so significant that now he uses phrases like I have bound him, the strong man, so my children can plunder his house. He starts saying, I've given you the keys to the kingdom, so the gates of hell will not prevail. He starts saying phrases like, I have given you weapons of warfare that can demolish strongholds. What does that mean? That's what we have to discover. Because if he really snapped the monopoly, if he really brought weakness to the kingdom of darkness, then we have way more authority and power to keep shutting it down than we are currently utilizing. I told you uh, that when he did these things, he was trying to tell the world. What's interesting is that he gave visible proof to all these things so here was his visible proof that he had damaged the kingdom of satan all the demon casting stories in the bible are proof oh look there goes one. Oh, there goes another one there goes another one that is a kingdom notice of a switch of power because before the demons could go wherever they wanted and do whatever they wanted and hold anyone in bondage but all of a sudden jesus showed up and he said you're not allowed here anymore and he started kicking him out a lot. But then to show the size of the power, Jesus allowed this to happen. They brought to him a mute man. Anybody know what mute means? Just means you can't talk. Something that you've been praying over me for years. I understand that. <laughs> that he was mute. He was not able to speak and they brought him with a demon and Jesus cast the demon out with no problem and they all freaked out. Why? You know how it's funny that we, especially in the church today, we come up with the ways that things work, especially supernaturally. God never signed off on it, right? He's like, what? It don't work like that. What are you talking about? They believed that the only way you could get a demon out was vicariously through the person that the person would have to verbally confess the demon out. Then it would go. What's the problem when you can't talk? it's an impossible situation and you're stuck with a demon for the rest of your life. Jesus said, I'm sorry, who made that up? That's a dumb idea. Yeah, demon, get out. And he kicks the demon out with no problem. They went, whoa, he has authority. He's like, you better believe it. I tell him where to go, when to go. I run this place. Number two, he broke the hold of sin he broke the hold of sin. Romans 8:1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Satan always has power because he can bring your sin up over your head. That's what bullies do. They hold stuff over you. Let's talk about what sin is. Sin is rebellion against God in any of its forms. It could be pride, it could be selfishness, it could be whatever. Sin is rebellion against God. Therefore, it cannot be allowed into God's presence or kingdom, right? It's a rebel. Anyone that is rebelling against God is considered an enemy of God. So any sin, rebellion against God, has got to go. God's holiness, God's standard is now perfection. Anything less than full, total obedience doesn't get in heaven. The only people, the only beings that can get into heaven are perfect beings. Ah, that leaves us in a bit of a pickle, does it not? Because we are all in trouble. None of us are ever going to meet that. And so, we were considered doomed because God's wrath had to wipe out rebellion, but we were the rebels. So, something needs to occur. Someone needs to save us from that coming wrath. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And he did it two ways. Check this out. First of all, he died on the cross to pay that wrath penalty for his children. That means, yes, it was fulfilled. Yes, the entire system was made right. And yes, that person was made holy. Therefore, they get to go to heaven. Therefore, instead of perfect people, of which there aren't any, now forgiven people are made perfect and they go to heaven. But there's another thing he did. This is mind-boggling. Y'all heard the phrase born again, right? Which, by the way, if you ever say it, has to be done with a a southern drawl (laughs) that you are born again. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) I was born again. All right, well, praise the Lord. Now, here's the thing. Born again has amazing theological ramifications. Why? You know why you sin? you're like, well, I'm kind of a jerk. No, hold on. That is true. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. (laughs) The reason you sin is because you're a human being, and human beings are born into sin. It's called original sin. We inherited it from Adam and Eve. When they screwed up, it screwed us all up. So we are born. Babies are born into sin. We're born, as one author said, with a broken rudder on our boat, a broken keel, that no matter how hard we try to steer, we're always gonna go off track. And we go, what is wrong with me? Well, you're human. So you're always gonna mess up because that's what humans do. But if you are born again, you're not born of man or woman's decision. You're born of God who doesn't carry the original sin mark and you no longer have anything that stands against you. What's that going to do to Satan when he's been holding accusation? Do you realize that Satan means accuser, an adversary? This is how he's always tried to control you. Oh, okay, so you think you're going to be a Christian. All right, so you're a follower of Jesus. Interesting. Now you're going to go out and tell all your little buddies about Jesus, are you? Well, let me tell you something. I watch you when you're in your room. I watch you when no one else watches you. You think I don't see that stuff. You think, I don't see what you do. Oh, and now you're a big leader. Oh, you're gonna take on leadership in the church. What if they find out you're a fraud? What if they find out what's really going on behind the scenes? Oh, I see, so now you're gonna be up there and talking and preaching and everything, and then you're gonna gossip on the other side, and I'm not supposed to, what, point that out? Well, you may be able to snow everybody else. You don't snow me, so here's the deal. I'm telling you right now, I know the standards of God, and you don't cut it. So this whole business about you getting big and bad for Jesus, that's not gonna happen. I mean, isn't that how bullies work? What's the problem with that? Jesus ruined his opportunity. He's now got nothing on you. Why? Because Jesus purified it, cleansed it, and the Bible says he is constantly, what, interceding for you at all times. Anytime Satan tries to bring something up against you, it may be true, and Jesus said, I already paid that, I already paid that, I already paid that. You are now in a perpetual state of grace as a child of God, and Satan can never hold your sin over your head again. Come on, that's awesome. Amen! Colossians 2.13, and you who are dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Everybody, what does all mean in Greek? All, praise the Lord. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailed it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's what the Bible says. You see, the kingdom of God is a new mindset of going, wait a second, you don't have that on me. You don't get to bring that up. That is not on my record. Jesus died for my record. So you don't get to bring that up. I don't need to live in shame and darkness. You're right, I'm broken. I will willingly admit that. And I am only what I am because of what Jesus did for me. I have the presence of the Holy Spirit, not because I'm awesome, but because I serve one that is awesome. Therefore, I have every right in the world to tell you, Satan, where to go. (laughs) Amen. Now, I told you he gave visible proof. How do you give visible proof of forgiveness? Forgiveness is an internal thing. Well, interestingly enough, Jesus was approached. One day he was teaching. He was approached by four guys who dug through the ceiling and lowered their paralyzed friend down in front of him asking for his healing. What's weird is it didn't go like that guy thought. What were the first words Jesus said to the man that was lowered down in front of him? Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, you gotta imagine he's like, Oh, okay, that's awesome. (laughs) Not really why I was here, but thank you. That is very nice of you. Um, Kind of paralyzed, just saying. (laughs) What's intriguing is it immediately started an argument with the leaders in the room because the leaders go, you can't do that. Only God can forgive sins. Who do you think you are? It's like, God? (laughs) Right. And then he said, so that you know I have the power on earth to forgive sins, hey, buddy, get up and walk. Boom, the guy stands up and walks right out. Visible proof of forgiveness of sins. All right, let's move on. Number three, he broke the hold of death. He broke the hold of death. One of the ways that Satan has always held us at bay was that he says, I'm bigger than you, I can kill you. I can have my team torment you to death. I can hold over you the fear of death. Y'all are afraid to die, right? I mean, all y'all are little lab rats, right? And at any moment, I can squish you. And so I can take you out anytime I want. You need to be afraid. If I bring disease into your life, if I allow this world to mess with you, you're just gonna die. You are frail and weak. That's how bullies work. So what did Jesus do? <laughs> he took care of that too, John 11:25 Jesus was walking up to raise Lazarus from the dead when his sister Martha asked Jesus some questions and Jesus said this Jesus said to her I am the resurrection and the life whoever believes in me though he die yet he shall live and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die Oops ruined that trick too what was his point he so transformed it that now paul said for me to live as christ to die is what gain now all of a sudden it went from terror to glory now satan can't even hold that over your head because the minute you transport from this place everything gets ultimately better so now if he's trying to say you better bend to me or i'll kill you you go bring it on And he's got no more threat why because he's an illegitimate leader what's the visible proof of this jesus raised jairus's daughter from the dead jesus raised what lazarus from the dead jesus raised the widow's son of nain from the dead and when jesus died anybody remember there was a huge earthquake and hundreds of people got up out of their grave and went back in town And he said, what? He said, I'm the king of life. I lay my life down. I pick it back up. This is not a big deal to me. So don't ever have fear that Satan can do anything about your death. Jesus owns that territory. Amen? Amen. Number four, he inaugurated a movement to be followed. He inaugurated a movement to be followed. He is the tangible, concrete example of what a life surrendered to the Father and empowered by the Spirit looks like. We need to duplicate that, and that is what next week is about. But I'm sure you'll miss it. (laughs) No, you won't. Come on, here we go. Number five, he brought the Holy Spirit here. He brought the Holy Spirit here, Acts 1, 6. So when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, it is not for you to know the times or seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority, but I will tell you this, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria all the way to the ends of the earth. What visible proof did he give that the Holy Spirit came here? It's called Pentecost. Then they were sitting in a room together, 120 of them, when what? The sound of a mighty rushing wind. And then a visible sign of tongues of fire began to light up over every one of their heads. Then they began to speak in tongues as they spilled out. The church was empowered and the apostles and the leaders and the people went out all over the world doing signs and wonders as visible proof of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit man. So what should we be doing? Number six. Last one. He put the world on notice of his return. He put the world on notice of his return. Acts 1.9. And when Jesus had said these things, as they were looking at him, he was lifted up physically into the sky and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men or angels stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why are you looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven, oh, he's coming back the same way that he left. When? Matthew 24, 14. And this good news, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. What visible proof? He went up right in front of them and said, I'm coming back the same way. Can I have the prayer team come on up here as we close out? Y'all, the true good news that everybody needs to hear is you are not doomed, and you do not have to live a life under the tyrannical rule of satan as a dictator. Everyone needs to know there is a way to freedom. Everyone needs to know about Jesus Christ. Yet here we live in a kingdom of now but not yet. Jesus started stuff we need to carry it on. Jesus changed stuff we need to live as if it's so. And it really matters. How do we know that? The great commission Matthew 28:18 and Jesus said to his followers all authority in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. You're my followers. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. If I have the authority and power, I give that to my followers. You go out and do what I've been doing. That's our mandate. And so that's what we'll study next time we're together. If you are brand new to this church, welcome. I'm super glad that you're here. It is a great time to be part of Bridgeway. I'll tell you that. If you are brand new and you filled out one of those cards, take it out to the smiley people in the lobby. Because there's so many of them, let me narrow it down. There is a little wall that says, welcome, super big. They're hanging out right there. Hand your card to them. They'll give you a a special gift just coming and joining us. We'd love to get in touch with you. But you know what? For all of you that are family, we have a prayer team here, and we have a prayer team here for a very specific reason. They are kingdom ambassadors. They're just like the rest of us, but right now they are prayed up, and they're saying, Lord, may I be used as a conduit of your kindness, your compassion, your power, your authority. If you need prayer for anything mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically, you come to the prayer team, they're gonna seek God on your behalf. They're gonna pray breakthrough. If you say, I don't even know how to become a Christian, boy, everything you're telling me, I need that. You guys, they know how to tell you about that too. You just tell them, I need to know how to become a Christian. And they'll tell you, it's very simple. It's all about surrender. But I need you to understand as we go through this series, you have so much more power and authority and blessing than you ever imagined. And I want you locked and loaded as you go out this week. You are the kingdom of God moving forward. Let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, God, for your kindness to us, your patience with us. Lord, we're all kind of messed up. But Lord, you are so good to work with us. You are so sweet and kind. May your love draw us to change our minds. May your love lead us to repentance. Father, I pray that right now we would be overwhelmed by the presence of your Holy Spirit, that we might be able to be kingdom advancers, that we would do everything you asked us to do and you would empower your words, your deeds, that God, we might be mighty on your behalf. To the glory of your name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.